Hello, my dear friends from Portland. This is your favorite Seattle Sounders player, Stefan Fry. And unfortunately, you're listening to the Portland Vanity Soccer Podcast. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, Jonathan. That's, that's Money pretty... well spent. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I think it's fantastic that he agreed to do that. If there's one uh, Seattle Sounders player that I think everyone in Portland respects, it's probably Stephen Fry. <laughs> Yeah, I ha- I actually have a little bit of respect for him now because of that. It's hilarious, right? I mean, the ability to not take life so damn seriously and have yeah, and just fun. have fun. We yeah. should see if we can have him just call into other podcasts and leave them bad messages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Well, this is the second shittiest uh, soccer podcast in Portland. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so uh, if anyone is not aware of Cameo.com, you can get uh, A to F level celebrities to do things. Um, and uh, most of them are generally speaking um, like a personal message or whatnot or saying thank you to someone. Like I got, I think my favorite one ever was I got Ari Spears to do one for one of my employees who got a pretty big raise. You know, we were trying to come up with different ideas for the podcast. I was like, I wonder if there's any fucking cool soccer players that would do this. And so when he showed up as an available option, um, I messaged him, Rodney Wallace, uh, Freddie Adu, uh, and uh, just seeing if anyone would bite to engage to have a little bit of fun. And Rodney Wallace never responded. Uh, Freddie Adu <laughs> declined to be associated. Uh, and uh, Stephen Fry kicked some ass and uh, had fun with us. So it is um, uh, it's pretty awesome. But in messaging back and forth with Stefan, uh, I'm going to do a plug for a charity that he supports, which is the Sounders Foundation Rave. Um, if there's anyone in Taco looking to support, you know, their local community, that's obviously a good uh, charity support. So, Stefan, if you actually do listen to this, uh, thank you very much for being funny and, and taking part in some silly with us. Didn't he donate his fee to a charity, too? Yeah, he did. And then uh, we also did one with Jan Vertonghen from uh, Tottenham uh, for our guy, Harry Brown. Uh, and Jan took the money from that one and donated to a specific hospital in um, in his native Belgium. So nice. Uh, it's even dude, even if Stefan Fry did not uh, donate it to a charity, I'm I'm fine. That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just saying uh, on top of all that, he also donated his his fee to a charity yeah he's been doing a ton of charity stuff after him agreeing to do this um or recording the video i uh was seeing what he was doing and he's doing like he's like a painter and he's doing auctions with um men in blazers trying oh uh, yeah his, his art was actually pretty good compared to the... i was like yeah i'm like this is way better than george bush um <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but yeah, and also shout out to Stefan Fry because he also during uh, the Iron Front uh, was vocally supportive in the press with the fans and for the movement. But yeah, so Stefan Fry, if you do listen to this, we would love to have you on as a guest. Uh, oh, come on. I like the guy as much as anyone else, but I don't think we need to have him on the podcast. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. I guess Randy right. said the same thing about me. 
And look how great I am. Yeah. Randy's like, we should not approach players just yet because we kind of suck right. at this. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Negative, Randy. Did you know Randy hates fun? Uh, yes, Stefan Fry. Ignore Randy because he sucks anyway. Um, All right. You listen to this. We want you on the podcast. We would love to hear the Man. perspective of a, of a sounder with the Robert. We, um, we, we should go to uh, Seattle for it also. We should try to, um, you know, speaking of professional soccer players, we should try to get somebody on the podcast. Like, you know. Well, I mean, well, mean like delivered... in the next few minutes. Yeah, yeah like in the I next. Footy Donzo. Who can you deliver? Um, yeah. Well, you know. Thanks to our good friends at the Superior Podcast, known as Soccer Touchdown. <laughs> Thanks to JP, um, we have a special guest, uh, Pamo Duka, and I won't even be here for it. Why not? Because I have to leave. Why? Right. I have a darling child that I need to take care of. Do you have? Do you have Why? another child? I have lots of children all over the world. Because <laughs> I've seen your first one, and that one's no darling. No. Oh, oh, wow. oh, look like at that feral dog <laughs> she's my feral dog and that's yeah. all that matters all right okay <laughs> oh, oh my God. Sorry, sorry margo that's the best uh, cotton candy's on me in the next match <laughs> i can't stop laughing <laughs> <laughs> oh my all right God. all right so let's let's get to it all righty sorry guys that i'm not going to be part of this interview but um i'm there in spirit welcome to the podcast pa thanks for joining us we are truly honored to have you on and shocked that you agreed to be here um We've watched a lot of videos of you on and off the pitch in preparation for this interview. And so the first really? question, and really it's the obvious question, is why are you unable to have any sort of fun on the pitch or off the pitch? And do you regret <laughs> ever trying to have fun in your career? Yeah, you know, I'm not a guy that likes to have fun on the pitch or off the pitch. So. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, like one way I look at it is, I am blessed and fortunate to to do what I love, and 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 if I'm not gonna have fun doing it, what is the purpose of doing it? Yeah, I mean, even even if you're well, we'll talk about that later. But uh, Jonathan, you got you want to start off on the questions? Yeah, for sure. So again, thank you so much, and uh, that pa, that is how I live my life. Um, is if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. Exactly. I'm really interested. Um, so you and your family emigrated to Norway when you were a kid um, yeah. and like what that experience was like. And uh, my mother's family has a huge uh, uh, chunk of her family that still lives in Norway. Um, so I'm going to say it incorrectly, but uh, is it talk format is thank you for the food. Yeah. Talk format. Ah, fantastic. Um, what was that experience like being a kid going to a country like Norway? And, and do you have any family who still live there? Wait, in Norway or in Gambia? Uh, in Norway. Oh, yeah. The whole the whole family lives in Norway. My brothers and sisters and my mom and dad. How, how, how can I best put it? You know, it's, it's, it's a new world, you know, because I'm born in Gambia, West Africa. You know, I'm used to being out every single day after school, playing out in the streets with friends in the park. And then all of a sudden, and you arrive in Norway in wintertime <laughs> when, when everything is dark and 
snow is falling falling down the sky and for and for a young african kid like myself it was like wow what's it, what is this what is this white things falling down from the sky no <laughs> never seen it so, you know open my palms and then see touch my hand and you goes wow and so my so my first conversation was with my mom it's like mom i'm seeing this bizarre white things falling down <laughs> so how old were you i was eight but other than that you know, as a kid, you adapt quick, you know, like, 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 obviously you miss his home, but you know, okay, there's a new opportunity for me, you know, to, you know, to come, to come to a country where I can continue my development school, which was very important for my, for my dad. So, so it was, it was cool. Honestly, it was a cool experience because I'm, because I'm a guy that, you know, I never stand still. So I'm always curious about places that I go to and what they have to offer. So have you been back to the Gambia? Oh, yeah, I've been I've been back a couple of times. Your family's still in Norway. You just do you have friends in the Gambia or No, we still have family members. There's a lot of family members that are still there, you know, in you know, in Africa they yeah, they're still there and we we keep daily contact through through phones and uh, WhatsApp calls. But for me it's 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 because the rest of my family is in Norway, so Norway is the first priority for me to go. So you've you've played all over the world too. Um, yeah. how many how many different clubs have you played for and what are the any of the countries that you have fond memories of or anything that in particular stick out for you? Oh, man, I've, I've enjoyed everywhere I've played, to be honest. And I'm lucky to be the first Norwegian, Gambian Norwegian to play in three continents. So, oh, wow. We've been done before. So, but yeah, best place I truly, let's say that helped my career and made me truly understand football in a different perspective was actually Holland because of the way they play the game and uh, that was something I always liked, and the experience there taught me a lot. And as well as going to the Middle East, I learned a lot going into the Middle East. It was a different, different lifestyle, different, uh, different places, but I enjoyed it. And also, I enjoyed my time in America. So a- anywhere I've been, honestly, I've I've truly enjoyed my time. We always try to make the best of it. Yeah, I remember seeing in an interview you were talking about um, living in the Middle East, and it was a bit more difficult for you and your wife because of some of the restrictions, like she wasn't allowed to go out or like. Yeah, I was in Saudi. Saudi, 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 Saudi was at the time a little more stricter because we lived in Qatar as well, where Qatar was more open. You know, she could, she could, she could, she didn't need to live in a strict, she could drive her own car. She can basically do whatever she want, as long as she respected the, the rules and regulation that, that the country put upon, but Saudi was a little more difficult because Saudi was not so more open in sense of women driving cars or doing anything. So I basically was the husband, the chauffeur. I, so I saw <laughs> that house in the, in the video that you had, you had like a little MTV cribs sort of walk through your, your house in Qatar. That place yeah. looked like a palace, man. Nah, it is, it is absolutely. You just live in, a, yeah, you live in the future. It's like for, for them, for them, like this, so endless, uh, uh, yeah, how you say it? It's, it's an endless world and endless opportunity of everything they can, they want to do because they basically have a shopping mall, which is, I don't know if you guys have been to Vegas and you know the Venetia in Vegas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. Exactly. With the gondola and everything, they just basically just build, build a shopping mall with, with gondolas in there. Yeah. My um, my wife and I, we went to Dubai, uh, and it was the same. I imagine the same kind of uh, atmosphere. Oh yeah, that is the same atmosphere. Me, I, honestly, 
Dubai is nice, but I prefer Abu Dhabi. Me and my wife, me and my both my wife and I, we we, we prefer Abu Dhabi. Dubai is more, how would you say, Europeanized? It's yeah, it's Disneyland. You can basically look at it, Disneyland. You know. My only contribution to this part of the conversation is that I got <laughs> I got married in Las Vegas by a Elvis impersonator. Oh, so there you go, big that. man. And you, <laughs> you still married? And you still married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, then he did something right then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the grace of I don't know what, but I'm still still married. Yeah. Well, I'm big man. Here we go. <laughs> well done. So, um, how? Speaking uh, about another Gambian, he said he referred to you, uh, you. I don't know. You might have heard of this guy, Footy Danzo. You know that guy? No, I don't know him at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he referred to you as, uh, he said you had the nickname Nice Boy. So, <laughs> uh, oh, Footy? I don't know who he is. I, I never met him. I, I just yeah. <laughs> never met him. So I, so I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Jokes aside, no, Footy. Nice boys, yeah. It's because um, I don't know. I just I, I always I'm somebody who likes to take care of himself and make sure that I look nice and clean. And then, uh, but does boy have a, a different meaning? Because um, like I have I have a correspondence some other people and a guy, a guy that goes by the name of Boy Epo, but um, Boy is in his given name. Is, yeah. that, is that sort of like a no, title of some kind? No, it's it's yeah, it's more like a how you call it, like a nickname. Because in Africa, you have all you know, you have you have everybody. So my name, my nickname is Boyka. So it's sort of like you know, boy, but then my last name, like it's the kid Ka. I don't know. I don't know how the best way to put it. So so it's more like a nickname because my cousin's name was Boyinjai with his last name. So, so they kind of say, okay, we we call you Boyka. Okay. So, so, so that sticks. Um, when uh, Footy was saying that, um, we were we were trying to like, where do you, like, where does that nickname come from? So the nice is about you looking nice and trying to. I'm a nice yourself. boy, man. I'm a. I'm a yeah. You guys don't see me off the pitch. On the pitch, I doesn't look that nice, but off the pitch, I'm nice. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you're not more of a rude boy? Yeah, right. See, that's but that's but I'm not surprised that a lot of people will say that I'm a rude boy in those sense. But I'm a nice boy, man. My wife will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Well, it looks like uh, coming up in in July, you're you're about to turn forty. I just turned forty earlier this month. Uh, Do you have any plans that you're looking to do for fortieth? Given the pandemic, can you go out and enjoy it, or are you going to be stuck at home? Man, every day I'm enjoying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even thinking about my birthday, to be honest. Like I know my wife probably have something in her mind because it's my fortieth. But when it comes to me, I think the last time I properly celebrated my birthday, my wife will tell you. I don't even. My thirtieth was the was was my only time that I properly celebrated my birthday. I'm just happy, man. As long as I can spend it uh, with my wife, because the greatest thing is. We can celebrate it together because both of my wife's days are what, three three days apart, four days apart. Oh, fine. So, so I know how to pick him. Yeah. <laughs> in a in a previous interview, you, you talked about being the first African player to represent Norway at the national team level. Yes. Did, did you have immediately have the respect of your fellow players, um, and did you always feel like you were part of the team when you joined? Oh yeah. No, for me, like. Well, 
Honestly, I always wanted to represent Gambia. That was always my dream, to be honest. It was always to represent Gambia. But at that time, and honestly, you know, like Gambia didn't have the resources and the and and like what it is right now. You know that with the social media and everything, it's easy to see players. It's easy to know players. Back then, we didn't have the same same capacity that they have right now to be able to showcase what you're doing through through social media. Right. But for my chance to actually make it as a football player around that time, it, the best opportunity was actually to play for Norway, and 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 that's why I took it. And also paving the ways like. For the fellow immigrants that was that was in Norway and coming up, so it meant a lot for me personally. But when it in the terms of respect, you know, people always respect when they see what you can do. So, so the respect yeah. was the respect was mutual because I was not seen as a somebody different. You know, you know I was I was a kid growing up in Norway, so I was basically Norwegians in other people's eyes. But for me, I always knew that I had the double uh, nationality. I was African Norwegian. And that's what I prefer to be called, you know. So it was more of breaking barriers for for the coming generation. That's such an amazing story when you think about it, like um, and and what you were able to do for future generations. Like uh, it's like paving the way for everyone else, uh, so it doesn't have to be weird for them. They can be like, we no. can just be like, ah, yeah, no, hundred percent. No, it was actually I didn't. I, my wife will tell you, I don't, I don't think a lot about those things, but actually when my friend one time came to visit us, like he was going through that and he was explaining that is when after that you realize now, oh yeah, what you actually did is 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 huge. But at the time that when you're in your career playing, you do not focus on those things until afterwards. It's like, ah, oh, that's the significance of what you did. Because now you look at the, if I look at the Norwegian national team, we got Gambians, we got Moroccans, we got uh, people from everywhere. So it's, it's just cool to be one of the first people to, to do it. Speaking of Norway and, you know, playing football. Uh, so you arrived as an eight-year-old. What do you play when you're eight in Norway? Is it academy soccer? Do you play for a school? Like, what do you play? No, what, no. for me, it was uh, right before I came, my dad signed me into the club that he was playing for. You know, so I, so I went straight to the academy, but I never stopped playing because in school when we had PE, we were playing football. During long, uh, lunch break, you play football. And then when school is done, you put on your gear and then you go to your academy trainings. So so football was, football was 24-7. It was nonstop. In Norway, obviously, everybody knows soccer is not the first sport. So the first sports are winter sports. It's like skiing. You know, uh, figure skating and all of those stuff. So the good thing doing it when you were younger is in Norway, it was mandatory in school to do the skating, to do the uh, skiing, you know, all of this stuff. So can you imagine a, a young black kid on the ice? Did you did you try figure skating? Nah, figure skating was not my stuff, but I did skating. You know, you do skating, you do ski and all this stuff. So... I, so I so I like those stuff, snowboarding, all of this. But for me, figure skating was, I like to watch it, people do it. But for me to do it myself, no. <laughs> One of the things that we thought that was really impressive about your playing career is that you had the opportunity to play, you know, across many different countries in Europe, the Middle East, uh, in, you know, the U.S. And so 
after experiencing all those leagues and then coming to MLS, how would you rate MLS as a league? Like we're obviously big Timbers fans and so we love it. And we always dream that the Timbers could be a competitive team internationally, but like how far along is MLS? Well, um, uh, when I came 2013 and you think about MLS now is, is massive changes happening. Clubs are clubs are investing more. Clubs are bringing better players, and and the level of the American players are getting better as well. So the league is getting better. Will it is it up to the standard of the leagues in Europe now? No. Will it be? Yes, in the future for sure, hundred percent. And I think it's massive that the World Cup is coming in twenty twenty six. That will help a lot. But if I look my time in Timbers, it was it was incredible. Playing for Portland was like be playing in a team in Europe because the atmosphere was incredible. It's one of the best stadiums that I ever played in, to be honest. The fans are fanatic, people love football, and the city of Portland is just, yeah, it's a sports town. We should probably see another huge wave of interest in the United States because, you know, basically World Cup um, yeah. 96 was responsible for starting MLS in the first place with mm-hmm. conditions. Now it will happen for sure. You know, you know, the game is global, and 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 for some of the players as well, you have to think. All right, there's a lot of uh, good things that the MLS offers you that that they might feel like you know what it's time for me to go. And also the country is so big, so it's it's endless opportunities to see America for people that want to travel and and play the game of football here. And the quality on the pitch, which is the most important thing, it's getting better. And when the quality on the pitch is getting better, everything around us will get better. You see, there's more soccer Pacific stadiums. Clubs are setting up training grounds, you know, training facility. Now, uh, MLS is having their own academy system where people can play. So overall, it's great for MLS. And I think it will continue pushing the boundaries and getting better. And I think the next step for American uh, teams is to win the CONCACAF because that will also give give a different viewing when, when they're able to go to the Club World Championships, you know? Because right now, there's only been Mexican teams every time. So I think that's the next barrier that an MLS team should put their mind to try to conquer. I agree 100%. It will help grow the league so much if an oh, MLS yeah. team can make the Club World Cup. 100%, because that's the only thing that is missing, if you think of it. Because anything else, you know, you've got great international world-class players coming in. Slatan playing here for two years have helped the league massively. You know, you have Vela who's coming in have helped the league massively. And there's other signings coming in have helped the league massively. So the league will continue to grow. And Europe and more players in Europe are getting more curious about, about, about MLS because as well as honesty, it's like the money in Europe is drying up. If you're not in one of the top five leagues, you're not getting that much money that, that you used to get. And MLS can provide that money. So for these players as well, it's also as well as financial plays a lot of part in, like, in their decisions. And knowing that, okay, they can, they, they can also get a payday in America, but also see what MLS is about, that's a huge benefit. So let's, um, let's talk about your time here in Portland. What do you, what do you miss about living and playing in Portland? Oh man, it's it's. We always joke about it, me and my wife, but it's it's a dream and it's an ambition of mine that I would I would one day truly love to come and uh, coach Portland. Just because just because how how I was uh, 
how they took me in and 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 our time there with the people the friends we make you know and be able to work with Merritt Paulson and Gavin it was for me it was like it was a great opportunity and I'm happy that Portland was my first club because I learned a lot so you still have a good uh, relationship with the front office then oh yeah yeah the front office I still I still have a great relationship because yeah because of them I, because of them I get the opportunity to play MLS so for me I will always be grateful because Gavin 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 gave, basically gave me the chance and having people like Merritt there that always supported me and for me it's 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 one of my uh, ambitions to be able to come back to Portland that's that's fantastic to hear because you, you know you know it's a it's a business first and foremost and so oh, yeah. as fans you always want to believe that everybody gets along and, and everybody's happy and you know some people definitely are not nah. <laughs> it's great to hear that no nah. nah, for me honestly it's it's like and 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 I, and I say it everywhere like anywhere I go it's like people ask me where have you enjoyed like I would say and for you guys who are fans you know that like the 2013 team the 2013 team I think when it comes to being as a team in whole it was one of the best atmosphere created within the team truly if you ask every single player that was there at the time they would tell you that they truly loved it the times that we spent with one another was just great on and off the pitch and the chemistry that showed it and you showed it when we were on the pitch you could see it you know and until now we, we like you see the bond like the bond is the bond is still there for example with me and ryan johnson our wives are like best friends you have uh Donna, you have uh, Haley and uh, Rodney Wallace, you know, Darlington Nagby, all these people, like we're still in contact with them, you know, Diego Charas, you know, so it's, it's, it's Jack Dewsbury, Captain Jack, as I call him, you know, it's, you still, you, you like, we still talk to each other. That was, that was one of our questions we were going to ask a little bit later because, you know, we noticed you coming up on Nagby's social media feeds and you in the, on the on the pitch in Atlanta. And yeah. stuff. So you're still obviously in touch with all those guys. That's great. And, yeah, and that's a bond that will always be there, you know, because of the things that we achieve on the pitch, but also how we were with one another off the pitch. And I think that creates a bond. And if you see, like, me and Footy, because I'll, because me and Footy's story is kind of a little bit... Uh, Strange, if you like, if you mean, because the first time I went back to Gambia, I brought cleats, and one of my friends was playing with Footy, so so Footy got cleats from me without not even knowing it was from me. So when I came to Portland, the very first time, me and we were having conversation, and we just mentioned the same friend, and we both started laughing, and it's like it's a small world, you know. And I remember when when we were in Middle East. And we knew that Portland was interested. So I was kind of Googling, my wife is doing, searching, Googling where to live, what this Portland has to offer. So I just went into the, to see the team. And I just saw Futi Danso Gambian. I'm like, all right, there we go. <laughs> We're going, there we go. We're going home. We found a Gambian in there. Let's go. Nice. What, what neighborhood did you live in while you were here? I was in Beaverton. With Cedar Hills. My wife will tell you Cedar Hills. What's uh, what was your favorite place to eat? Did you have one while you were here? Yeah, home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had we had the we had the place called like the Hawaiian place. Uh, I Roxy's Roxy's Island Grill. Uh-huh. We had uh, Tasty and Adler. We had at the departures at the Nines. Oh, yeah. uh, we had Mio Sushi. I, the food was great, important, and you had the and you had the how how you call those ones that you could 
walk down and you see the like the food trucks. Food trucks, yeah. You got elephant. Yeah, it was elephant. I think it was called elephant. The grocery store, that little grocery store next to the stadium. Do you have a favorite on-field moment with the Timbers? Favorite. I have many, man. Which one do you want to hear? I have many. Every time I step on the pitch, I had many. But the best, <laughs> I was enjoying my time, man. Come on. We had great times. in. That's why I wish we won it. I'm truly happy that they won it in 2015. But I wanted to win it so bad in 2013 so I could go and meet Obama. I was looking oh, forward yeah. to that, man. I was like, man. I was like, I was devastated when we didn't make it. I was truly. It was one of the few times on, on the football field where I was truly like, devastated because I, I felt like with the team we had we 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 deserve we deserve to be in the final but yeah, yeah my my biggest moments are actually hearing hearing the national anthem i'm not a national anthem guy but hearing the national anthem with the timbers army the whole stadium buzzing i'm like it's no better feeling and if you don't want to play football in that environment then then you don't love the sport i'm getting goosebumps just me, me too. It's the same with me. The very first time we heard it was when we came and we were so, and I signed what day after and we 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 watched Timbers New England and I and just hearing the national anthem and how people were living through it, I'm like, wow. <laughs> and and that's why I tell people the best soccer environment is important. And anybody who have said it to and gone and said they're like, yeah, we see what you mean. We. We love it. We take a lot of pride in it. And um, uh, it's, uh, again, like when you're talking about the national anthem and same thing, I'm not really an anthem guy, but the way it's done with the army and the, oh, yeah. the scarves and the, oh, and the TIFO comes out. It's like I'm jumping all around, getting crazy. It's it's yeah. it's awesome. And now then you can imagine what kind of adrenaline that you guys give us when we were on the pitch then. That's why we were unbeaten. Yeah. A lot of Portland fans... Um, probably have a favorite memory of you on the field. It's actually after the field. It was after that um, when we, we beat the Whitecaps three to zero and you brought a young girl on the pitch. Uh, yeah, Emma. Um, is that something you still think about? Yeah. I, we still, uh, we still in contact with the family. I, I still text the mom just to see how they're doing. And uh, I remember when, when I was a white cap and we came back and I had my daughter and they actually met for the first time, you know, uh, I still have the picture. So you, you melted me, a lot of hearts when that, when you did that. Uh, for me, I was not, honestly, I was not thinking. I just saw her and I just, you know what? And just, just part of me just being spontaneous. I'm like, you coming on the pitch with me. And I had no idea at the time that, that she was dealing with, uh, with stuff to be honest. I had, I had actually no idea. For me, it was just pure, spontaneous thing. See, like seeing, a, like seeing a young girl happy, and I'm like, we just beat them because, because, what what a lot of people don't know is that when that when 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 Whitecaps beat us four three, they were celebrating hard on our ground, and that kind of like and that kind of pissed me off. And I don't know, I don't know if the people could still see it, but I was I was almost. Fighting, fighting, fighting the head coach. <laughs> I was almost. Yeah. Fighting it was. It was. It was. You no. Know, it was a little rivalry game. But for me, it's like okay, you win, but then have the decency not to, not to show off just because you beat us. You know, you beat us is all right. But after that, I was like, okay, the next time we play in these dudes, it's it's something's gonna happen. So 
when we beat them 3-0, I was so happy. So I didn't even know what I was doing. So when I so when I picked her up, I didn't have any clue what, what she had. So I brought her in with the Timbers Army and then I brought her into the locker room. And Caleb, you know, Caleb was so happy. He was, and then normally Caleb will curse. But after he was like, <laughs> hey, I'm like, oh. Wait, you got Hold on a second. You're telling me that Caleb Porter curses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I no, just once, just once time, just one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. Uh, and so you got to bring her back to the locker room, and yeah, and I brought then... her back to the locker room, get the contacts with the family, get her the boys to sign a jersey for her, and stuff like that. So I, 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 I for me, it was just a spontaneous stuff. That's just who I am. I, I, I didn't even think nothing about it at that moment, to be honest. Until afterwards, I knew that she she was dealing with a lot of stuff with the family and and for me like and that's why that's we that's how we kept contact so i try i try all the time to to reach out and see how they're doing and how she's doing that's fantastic mm-hmm. um it's yeah that it's so funny how like for you in the moment when you're not thinking about it how you can instantly change someone else's life just from you know playing football and and the fact that you still reach out to keep in touch is is pretty awesome so thank you for doing that that means a lot to people nah it's, it's that's life man you, you never know where you're gonna meet people and that's why i say it it, it doesn't matter where you're from you know yeah. we, we we're all human so all we got to do is just live live our lives as normal human because you never know where you're going to meet your friend you never know. Some say you might even meet friends on a podcast. I'm yes. telling you, man. Look at that. Who would have thought so? It's the truth, man. But hey, but that's life, you know. Not this one. Some other podcast. Yeah, probably a better podcast somewhere with like ESPN. I like this podcast. <laughs> I'm enjoying this podcast, man. Oh, fantastic. So, I mean, going from Portland to Vancouver as a player has to be like a weird feeling. And so... Uh, what was it like to come back to Portland as a member of the Whitecaps? Like, was it tough to hear the army cheering against you or does it motivate you? And um, by the way, your first goal against us, that was tough to watch. Yeah, thanks for that, man. Whipped in right for the ball and a chance. It's Paul Moduka who nods home in front of his old supporters and gives the Whitecaps the lead against his former team. Oh, I'm telling you, man, but that's, but, but that's crazy though. Every time you play against your ex-team, I watch it and I was like, for me, and I was thinking, would I be able to score? Because normally every time you play against your ex-team, you, people end up scoring. But it was never in my mind. But to be honest, it was never my intention to leave the uh, Timbers. For me, it was not my intention to leave the Timbers. If it, if it was for me, I, I would have ended my career in Portland. But that's, but that's football, you know? But going, but yeah, but going to the uh, Whitecaps for me, if like for me, is one thing. Like when I'm in, when I was in Portland, my heart was for Portland, you know, and was still even when I was with the Whitecaps. But when I'm on the pitch, I'm doing everything I need to do to make sure that I win. I mean, that's how you have to do it. Yeah, just just the way I am, and I know a lot of people will say, "Ah, don't celebrate or do or do sort of stuff." But for me, I had respect for the Ami, and the Ami had respect for me. And if they and if they knew my character, they knew that the person I am when I'm playing for somebody, I'm going full hundred percent. You're not getting sixty percent. For me, my only mindset was I'm winning the game. I'm 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 winning the game for Vancouver Whitecaps. Was never a game of Pamoduka against uh, Portland Timbers. You, you know what I mean? It was a, <laughs> yeah. a game 
between Whitecaps and Portland, and I had to win, <laughs> no matter the cost. But afterwards, after the game, I still got friends. I still had family there. So for me, it was it was all love. And and with the Timbers were great. Like the Amis were great. I didn't think the Amis booed me. They are they only booed me when I scored. But the I think was mutual respect. Yeah. I think I think it's mutual respect because I, I kind of felt like they, they they knew what I brought to the table and return. I knew what they brought to the table when when it comes supporting to their team. So for me, it's all respect and love, and it will always be like that. Yeah, and so uh, speaking of Vancouver, there were a lot of stories about a tough atmosphere in the locker room in Vancouver with some of the players not getting along, and then you know Carl Robin Carl Robinson got sacked, and then it was the season that like all that happened after you had left. Was that starting when you were still there? Like, what was that like? Because that was it's a bummer to read as a fan when you see yeah. the, the teams and players not getting along. Honestly, that that whole thing up with. Like with Robo, I think for me, it's just a setup. And I'll be straight honest, right? I've been in a lot of locker rooms, right? And it's easy for some people like to go off and just go off tantrum after the coach has been sacked. Right? But if you but if you look at Carl Robinson's tenure in like in Whitecaps, there's no other coaches that have done what he's done. He's taken them to three playoffs, won the Canadian Cup, which they've never done before, semifinals in the CONCACAF, against one of the best teams in North America, which is Tigres. And in that locker room, I can tell you that we all got along. It's few because we were a dysfunctional family, honestly. But everybody got along. And I think that Robo should deserve more credit than what people had, uh, what, what he's been given. Because he's been given to work on a budget that was not, that was, that was, that was not a budget that you compete with. Honestly, if you if, if if you look at our budget at the time and you look at the rest of the league, you would say, how is he, how is this guy's working miracle? You know, so uh, so I think some of the sticks that he's been getting has been unfair because in Portland, we could play technical football because of the scouting, because of Merritt and Gavin, you know, they were happy to put good players on the pitch. But when you are not getting that support from the front office, and they're not spending money, you, you're going to look for the best, cheapest option and try to win. But, but uh, me, my time in the locker room, you know, I was, I was, I was the oldest stat, uh, statement, but there was respect amongst the young kids. There was respect among the Spanish people. You know, everybody, there was, there, was, there was not one single time that you could say, hey, nah, there was a rift. But there's always going to be rift and rift, and there was always going to be things created when somebody leaves, you know what I mean? And then all the dirt will be getting thrown out of this and people trying to point fingers and say, ah, this was this, this was that. But for me, that whole thing was a setup. I will tell you because I know, because I was in there. I said this to Robo earlier. I'm like, Robo, I'm like, listen, you're not, you're not helping yourself because every time your budget is cut, what happens is you work a miracle. <laughs> you know, you always work a miracle on a low budget. So... So everybody will be thinking, okay, how is he doing it? And they're saying, oh, he doesn't play. Oh, he's not playing nice football. He's not playing this. But the ultimate goal in in, in our sport is what? Is to win. And sometimes how you win, people forget about that. They might complain it, but hey, by the end of the day, I got the three points. And that's that's what matters to me. But it was a lot of dirt throwing. And I didn't like that, to be honest. 
So that you know, there's obviously the big Cascadia rivalry between the three teams, but you know, I feel like most of the hatred is between Portland and Seattle. And, and you know, we have a we have a very strong rivalry with the Whitecaps. Yeah. We kind of look at them as like, oh, you, there's not no, a true hatred for those guys because you kind of nah. feel a little bit sorry for them. Yeah, nah, but the Seattle one, I love it. I was so happy, man. Always beat these uh, Seattle people. So you, I mean, you look like you still had a, a lot of gas in the tank when you were playing for the Whitecaps. What made you decide to go retire from playing and move into coaching? Honestly, it it it, it when you've been playing for twenty years and 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 you enjoyed that part of playing, to be honest, and you 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 kind of thinking, okay, what is next? And Robo and Carl Robinson, to be honest, when he brought me in, he was like, listen, I want you to mentor my younger players. I want you to help them understand what it truly means to be professional and taking charge with them. So it was a thing I always had in me. And if you ask some of my teammates in Portland, they would like they would say the same. I was basically a coach on the pitch. So my transition was not so much of a difficulty, but it was when would I make the transition? So came 2000, yeah, 2015, it was, I for the first time in my career, I ended up having doing my knee, which was the last game when we played Dallas and we end up playing Portland in the semifinals in the in the playoffs. And it was it was one of the toughest games ever to miss because in my mind I was like this this was our opportunity to actually beat Portland in a game that truly truly matters. But yeah after that year I was kind of contemplating in my mind and Having my daughter and uh, w- taking her on the pitch, which was one of my dreams to walk on the pitch with my daughter and be able to do it. And I was like, yeah, what else is it for me to 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 prove? I have nothing else to prove to nobody. Yeah, and I can still be around the game and do the second best thing, which is actually coaching. How did you end up at uh, FC Cincinnati then? Was, was that after Robinson was fired? No, that was before Robo was fired, actually. So what happened was... Well, what happened was while I was in Whitecaps, I developed a relationship with um, with our uh, reserve coach at the time, uh, who was uh, Alan Koch, uh-huh. and uh, and and he went to Cincinnati, and he tried to recruit me as a as his assistant when he left, but I was not ready, I was not ready yet because I just retired and I needed time to to get myself into the coaching, even though I was a player for me. Coaching is a, is a whole totally different thing than a player, and you need time. For me, it was giving myself the best possible time so that I can be ready when when asked to do a job. So, so I told him, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not truly ready yet. So I need to spend time, and I and that time for me on the Carl Robinson was huge. It was massive for me because I was doing morning session with the first team, and I was doing uh, afternoon session with the youth. So I basically left from home 6.15 in the morning and I came back at home at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock at times. So just for me to get under the wings of being a coach. So when the guy left to Cincinnati, when Alan left to Cincinnati, he called me in 2018. It's when I knew that we met at the draft and they they told me that they might head into MLS and he asked me if I would then like to be his assistant. And at the time, I knew, okay, this may be the last year of Robo. And I don't know what the front office will do because I'm part of his staff. Uh, so for me, right. it, was, 
yeah, so for me, it was also looking out for myself, seeing, okay, what is out there and who is out there that maybe want to take a chance with me. And Alan gave me the possibility to go to Cincinnati. Speaking of difficult locker rooms, um, you know, Cincinnati, they, have, they obviously have good fan support, um, but they have a, they had a lot of problems um, that didn't have any, don't really have anything to do with, with the game of soccer itself. Um, was it a mess while you were there? Yeah, what, you know, what way I can say it's 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 because some teams you get when you get quick success like some teams like they did in USL, and you are and you are bound to take a next level. That level is always going to be higher, and I don't think that they were truly prepared to what was going to happen when they come into MLS. Because sometimes you can want something too quick and too early, but you don't realize what works goes into it and i think they're still figuring out what kind of works that goes into what all they need to do but i don't think the locker room was a problem to be honest with me being there and with the boys the locker room the problem was people that didn't know what to do that's when the problems arise and it will trickle down to the locker room because by the end of the day those are the people that people see performing the whole problem is not even in the locker room. The whole problem was everything around and people not knowing what to do. So was, was I don't know how to, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but was Johns, Ron Johns, was he there while you were there? Ron Johns? Yeah. Well, well for me, that's, that's a different story because I left, uh, I wouldn't say I left because the real people, if they truly want to speak what really happened, they can be my guest and speak it. But for me, I don't like I, it. Was it was a difficult circumstances to be in, to be honest with you, from the get go. You know, it it, it 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 me especially. It was totally different. It was not something that I expected, and because I have high standards of myself, and I have I have high standards of people around me, and it was it was a different environment to what I was used to, to be honest. And being in football for twenty years, to be honest. I've never seen an environment like like I saw when I was in Cincinnati. That was we. I think we have the same high standards that you have uh, in who we work with and who we what we expect when you when you get to work. And I can't exactly. imagine what that was like for you as a you know trying to be a new coach in a new organization. No. You know, yeah. And for me, it's it's honestly it's it's it was it was maybe the only time in my life in football when I felt like you know what. I don't love the game no more. That that I can quit right now. That's uh, that's that's sad, but I'm glad you haven't given yeah. up on it. No, I, because it, it's for me. It's my love. I love the game, but that was the moment where I truly felt. You know what? So like the reason the reasons why I'm doing it. This is not one of the reasons. You know, for me, and the, like the reason to do something is. It's not to benefit for me first, but it's for the other people that I'm doing it for so that they can benefit. Because I had the pleasure of playing football for 20 years. But when you have people who never been around the game or never done something, that can be difficult. That can truly be difficult. And people who 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 believe uh, in a way of working and not doing it the right way. Let's say not doing it the right way. And for me, that is the most important thing. Anything you do, try to do it the right way. Be open about it. Be honest about it. But it was not that environment. The environment was not right. And people, I know people can blame players and stuff like this, but it had nothing to do with players. 
we um let's let's change gears then to something really positive. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> you're the head coach of Pacific FC. That was that's a pretty fast rise for you. Um, yes. What should Timbers fans or what should MLS fans know about Pacific FC? They should they should know a lot. <laughs> nah, the jokes aside, we are a club that is on the rise. As you say, we have different we have different philosophy because our philosophy is to put uh, trust in our youth develop our own youth players, you know, and help them reach their goals. And 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 that's one of the reasons why I also took this job, you know, because the one that I'm working with, Rob Rob Friend, we we end up playing against each other in three in three countries. We played against each other in Norway. He's a Canadian, played came in Norway, played against me in Norway. We played against each other in Holland, played against each other here in MLS while he was with the Galaxy. So me and him has a history, we know each other and when he when he told me about this project, like I was buzzing because that is something I always wanted to do: be in an environment where you can, where you can create and set a culture, set a tone the right way. You know, trying to help the next generation achieve uh, greatness. You know, and and for me in North America, there's a lot of talents, but I don't think me. That's me personally speaking. I don't think there's n- not enough strong coaches that actually want to coach and do it the right way. And that's one of the reasons why I want to do it. So what kind of coach are, are you? Um, I mean, you're obviously you're a defender, but are you an attack-minded? or? A I am an attack-minded. Even though I was a defender and people tell you, I am an attack-minded in mind of the way I want to play the game because that's the only way I know. That's the way I grew up when I was little. So that's never left me. Like, you play football to have fun. And for me, it's very simple. If I'm playing against somebody, he scored one goal, I need to score two to win. <laughs> That's just simple of the game. So, And sometimes people say, ah, you tied the game. But if you think about it, you can tie the game, but you are lucky that you tied the game. So basically, you could have lost the game, but you get a tie out there. So the game is win or lose. Is there any kind of relationship with the Whitecaps at all? We don't have, per se, a relationship, but it's always good because some of the young players that we have, I was fortunate enough to to have worked with them in my time at, uh, at the Whitecaps. So I knew what kind of players they had. And these were players that actually, for me, I saw as players that had the possibility to make the Whitecaps team and go into MLS. You know, and but Canada as a whole, as a country, I think it's one of the best things they could have done is to have their own league. Because there's also good talent in Canada to shine. And World Cup coming in 2026, that would be a massive statement. You know, both for the U.S. and both for the like, both for the Canadian leagues, and for us as a team, as Pacific, we focus on youth development. So to be able maybe to get one player ready to be able to represent Canada or two, that would be massive. Wow! Yeah, and we're not gonna stop until we make that. Truthfully, though, the only reason you're in Canada is because you miss the snow. It reminds you of Norway, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I love the Northwest Pacific. I I, I truly do. For me, I, for me, uh, me and my wife, we see ourselves in my family. It's either Portland or Vancouver. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. And that's why for me, I, I, I said it. And to be able to get a chance to coach now and be a head coach, you know, and in an environment where, again, I speak of environment because it's important. I'm, I'm working with uh, two owners that have uh, previously played the game. Uh, one of my assistants, James Merriman, we share a bond in how we outlook of our football and our standards, what we demand from our players. 
and also he's so much into youth development. So seeing him work in Vancouver Whitecaps was amazing with the youth players because when Canada went to the under-17 World Cup, five of five of those players that actually are playing for the Whitecaps was working under him, him and Robert Earnshaw. And for me to be able to see that was great, you know? And working with him now is just another tremendous thing. And that's why for, for me, it's, it's, right, it's a blessing to be in an environment where you know that you can put your stamp on and help that environment grow. That's super cool. We're, we're glad that you're not playing against us anymore, uh, but happy um, that you've yeah. been able to, <laughs> um, uh, to, to step into a head coaching role so fast. That's so super cool. And, um, you know, like you said, putting your stamp on an organization, like you don't get that opportunity very often no. professionally. So that's, that's honestly, and honestly, for honestly, it's not like racial, but for a black coach, it's not that easy, quick. It's not. It's just the reality. You know, you can look anywhere you want, and it's not. It's not to stamp or to bash on people, but that's just the reality. And I know that. But also to be giving it with people that actually trust you and know your quality, what you can do, that's an extra blessing. And to see Rob and Josh truly believe in me and know that I can do it, that's a blessing. Yeah. So a few more questions uh, before we um, we hit to the end here. But like one of my questions I'd love to ask defenders in MLS is who was the toughest striker that you've ever had to defend against? The toughest striker to defend? I'll put, uh, I'll put, I'll put Eddie Johnson up there. I'll put, uh, I'll put Josie Altido up there. And I'll put Wando up there. Chris Wondolowski, huh? Because he's just fine. He just, he just fine. He just, he, you know, he, he, he was, he never gave up. You know, you, you, you played against him. You knew that he's not going to do much, but he only needed one half a chance. <laughs> and that's credit to him. All he needed was half a chance. That's a that's a little bit of a backhanded compliment. He's not going to do much, but he just needs a half. No, but, <laughs> but but that's a quality itself. Like playing against Wando, I know. Okay, when it comes to speed, he's not going to beat me. When it comes to physicality, he's not going to beat me. So with him, it was a mind game, and that little moment that you took your eye off him is when he came to a life, and that's the reason why he's he like he's the most uh, scoring. Uh, Goal, uh, goal scoring MLS. That's credit to him, you know, because he he, he was he was a nightmare. Like I remember when we played the three three. I will never forget it. The three three game we played in uh, Timbers. The guy didn't basically do nothing, and it's a cross, and somehow he ended up between me and Ridgewell, and he headed in. Yeah, he. So I uh, used to live in San Jose, um, yeah. and. We would go see Earthquakes games, my wife and I, and it was the season that Wando was uh, like crushing the Golden Boot um, race and just it was an unbelievable season. And like it just seemed like, like you said, he's not the fastest. He's not the most physical. But the second he gets the ball in the right spot and you look for a millisecond the other way, it's going in. It's done. And that's the quality itself. That That's that's the quality you have. And Josie, and I think Josie, Josie was a handful. Because Josie was 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 tough, and so was Eddie. So was Eddie Johnson. Eddie Eddie was tough. Eddie was also a clever striker, good movement. You know, he got speed. You know, he had everything, and and he will talk smack too. So that's so that's the nice thing. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's so fun. Um, I oh, that's so fun. Like you, and th- that makes the game. And also, you have to give it to Dempsey too, because Dempsey could Dempsey could also talk smack. So it was no, good. We don't have to give anything to Dempsey. No, yeah. no. <laughs> I, I know. I know. We shouldn't give credit, but when credit is due, you gotta give credit All due. Right, because right. when he came and scored the hat trick, you gotta give it to him because he's the only player who ever scored hat trick in the game. Yeah, I. Pa, I was so upset when uh, Dempsey came to MLS because, or like back to MLS because I am a Spurs fan uh, in the Premier League and I was super excited when, you know, like, hey, Dempsey's coming back and like, you know, who's going to get the allocation order of signing the U.S. International and the crazy rules of MLS to sign players. And then when it was mm-hmm. Seattle, I was just like, oh, you could have kicked me in the nuts, man. Like it was, uh, I was so I bummed that I had to not like him. Well, there were some rumors when I was playing that maybe we were on top of the allocation, but MLS we were MLS wanted to move him somewhere. So I don't know about that. That's the rumors that I heard. If the rumors are true, I don't know. We may we may have to ask Don Gamba. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he'll join this podcast. <laughs> yeah, get him, get him onto this podcast and ask him. So, uh, so here's this this segment. We have a segment where I force my 12 year old son to ask professional soccer player a question against his will and <laughs> here it comes um, are you ready born ready introduce yourself i'm simon and i just had a quick question what was your favorite goal you ever scored for like any team my favorite goal yeah yeah my favorite goal is actually gone uh, viral worldwide why i don't know but it was my scissor kick when i was playing in holland huh when was that that was in 2011. So that was long, 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 long time ago, Simon. Huh. And and it's gone viral recently since then. No, it's got it's been it's been gone viral since the day that was made. But huh. now everybody like if you type in Pamuduka on YouTube, I think that is one of the first things that will pop up. Yeah, I yeah. did not find that. I'm kind of bummed. I got to look for it now. That sounds awesome. What? You guys haven't seen this. Come on, man. It's going we did so much research, too. Kaboom! Prachtige goal, de 5-0 van Kaal. Dat is een schoonheid van een treffer. Zie, you guys haven't done your research then. Yeah. You guys haven't done your proper research. <laughs> I know, right? We're, we're, we're journalists full-time, you can tell. You should be really impressed. Uh, oh, I <laughs> So one of the interesting things that I did uh, learn by researching is who your uncle is. Um, Hang on a second. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Number seven on the on the YouTube list. Seventh down. Because oh. famous scissor kick goal. Randy, send me that link. We gotta we gotta pump that link back up. <laughs> but yeah, so your uncle is, and I, I I don't know how to pronounce his name. Jamon Hunso. Jamon Hunso. Yeah. So, how do you pronounce that again? Jimon. Jimon Hunzo. 
Juman Hanzo. Okay. And so, I mean, for me, also known as Karath, the pursuer from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so are, are you in touch with your uncle? Um, and if so, like, do you get special screenings of all the Marvel movies? <laughs> oh, me? Nah. I, they, they, well, who says that he's my uncle? Oh, really? It's, he's not? Why, why people speak about Junsum, uh, Jimun? I never speak about him. I don't know, man. It says so on your Wikipedia page. Wikipedia page? See, people, I don't know what people write on people's Wiki, Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing that I never Googled myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, well, then then we can, uh, we'll, we'll skip that question and move right on to the next one. Oh, wait, hold on a second. It's you said that when the interview on on uh, Whitecaps FC, they ask you who would play you in the film of your life, and the, the answer says that would be my uncle Jimon Honsu. Ah, so now you've done your research, huh? <laughs> now, now it comes to you you guys done your research. When it comes to my bicycle kick, you haven't done your research. <laughs> <laughs> So you admit it. Huh? You admit that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what you learn when you uh, play football. Awesome. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. No. no comment. I wish I could do that at work. Um, when <laughs> my boss asked me a question, did you write this report? No comment. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> I can confirm no nor comment. deny. Yes. Um, I read in one interview that you said you didn't really idolize any professional soccer players um, growing up, but you did always admire Muhammad Ali. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? No, I wish I did. I truly wish I did. He, him, and Nelson Mandela. Oh, I truly wow, wish yeah. I. But I was able in uh, World Cup 2010. I took my dad. I took my dad to witness World Cup in Africa, and and we went to Robben Island. And we went to went to the prison. I mean, that when you oh, that's wow. when you truly that's when you truly that it kicks into you like, wow, for twenty eight years this guy, what how strong his ment- his mindset was and everything that he could adore. Because my dad cried, and my dad is not somebody that cries. <laughs> wow, yeah. and like and and you could tell he's like wow, and 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 that made a huge. Huge impression, like impression on me. My wife and I went to uh, South Africa just uh, over a year ago, and we stayed in Johannesburg uh, for a couple nights, and we were in Soweto for a couple nights. We uh, we did a charity tour through the neighborhoods in Johannesburg. You can't go through like Soweto, Hillbro, oh, yeah. Borea, um, and we got to see just some some crazy things. And one of the things that blew my mind um, was how prevalent or the feeling of racism there was still. Oh, yeah. And it, it like, cause again, like apartheid didn't end until um, I mean, what I forget the year. But it's, it, not, it's not ending. It's still on. Apartheid is not ending. No racism is ending. Just, just look around the world. Look what just happened recently. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, 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 it, it, for me, it's not even about colors. It's just about what we're doing as human. What, what, what we're doing. Like, in, in which world do we want? We want our future generation to live in a world where they don't feel safe. Like, me, when I look at people ask me, oh, you as a footballer, you wish you had a son. I said, no, I'm glad I didn't have a son. 
I'm happy I have two daughters. Like every day I need to worry when, if my son is coming home safely or not. Come yeah. on. It, it's, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't wish them upon nobody. What we just witnessing now is, is truly just sad. It's sad that we in this time in 2020, we're still talking about stuff that was 365 years ago. It's it's mind blowing. I mean, like every, every, I feel the amount of you know just blatant racism that you encounter um, from people who don't understand anything other than um, uh, being given everything or having all the opportunities and uh, and trying to explain that to people is just so mind numbingly difficult. It's difficult to watch from the outside because you don't know what it feels like. Until somebody do it to you, and then you all of a sudden you go, oh, so that's what they're feeling, you know? And I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, you just let's just reverse it, and then it was the other way around. Somebody just pick a gun or just knee on your kid. Yeah, we all know, we all know it's wrong. It's not like we don't know. We all know it's wrong because it's wrong to tell a kid pick a gun and shoot your own parents. Yeah. A kid will tell you that it's wrong, right? A kid is not born knowing about racism. He's taught. Because the best way to know is put them in a daycare, black, white, yellow, Chinese, green, I don't care what color you are. The only thing you think is can we play together? Can we have fun together? But when they come into adolescence, is when people start to put things in their mind and pollute the young and, and, and pollute the mindset of people. We all have bad experience with with, with, I have bad experience with my own people, you know, honestly, with different people. But should I stop treating people the right way just because of my bad experience? I won't do that. Because we are all human. We all, we, we all came to this world naked and we're all going back naked. Anything that we ever had, name, title or anything, we, we, we're never going to take it to the, uh, to the grave with us. So why not just live as normal people amongst people? That's for me. It's, it's like, and wow, it's too much. Yeah, I think Randy and I are exactly on the same page as you, and you know, we always uh, try to do our best and uh, do the right things. But it's yeah. it's a crazy it's a crazy time, like you said. In twenty twenty, oh, we still have issues. Twenty twenty, big man. We have the pandemic, and we're still dealing with the racial uh, profiling. Whether you are Mexican, whether you white, whether you black, come on. Yeah, like, one of my coworkers, <clears throat> excuse me, is Korean, and he lives in LA. And mm-hmm. uh, he, when the start of the pandemic, he was racially abused with his two kids in the car at a gas station, uh, telling him to send his you know racial slur for Chinese people ass back to China. And oh he's like, God. I'm not even Chinese; I'm Korean. He's like, I got my six and seven year old kid in the in the back seat of my car. Like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, that's crazy, man. You know, I have two sons. I can't even imagine. I mean, I know, like you said, you know what's wrong. The only thing you can do, and especially with me, my background, I, I can't. I, I, I can empathize and I can try and help make it better. But I just can't even imagine what it must be like to have to deal with that. Nah, it's it's and and honestly, it's not only American because even in Europe, for me, on that side, I did experience. So I know what it is, and that's why when I tell you when I when I say like, even even in coaching, it's there. 
you know, for me, I call it more of the inside one. You know, it's inside. It's not as blunt as the, what the cops are doing, you know, but it's inside. You feel it. You know it's in there. But is that going to stop me from doing what I love the most? No. Will people ever stop me? No, because I was glad and I'm still glad to have done what I've done and go through life. Come on. I'm an African kid at eight year old going to Norway. We've never seen snow. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you understand? That's what I tell people. And people laugh. I mean, I never seen it. I went to a new world. I saw something. I've traveled. I went to the Middle East. I saw a new different hole. I came to America. I saw a whole different new world. Went to Canada. So all different. You know, every places I've been, I've seen different stuff. But for me, the biggest thing is how do we treat each other? Like, what is the difference between me, you, and me? Nothing. Besides, I'm me, it's nothing. What? Me, I'm black? Oh, whoa. Oh, whoa. Newsflash. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Hold on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm Norwegian. Oh, I'm Norwegian. I'm blonde. <laughs> you understand? So, so for me, so for me, making making a little bit fun of those things is to make people at ease, to understand, hey, relax. There's no difference between you and I. You know, we still can have a nice conversation and enjoy ourselves because you may have the same uh, thought process in life that I do have, you know, because we never know where we meet our friends. Exactly. Um it kind of goes to one other question. And I think this is the last one before we have one listener question, which is passion. Uh, so we talked to, to footy, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, he talked about his true passion for uh, charities and he was trying to do stuff mm-hmm. back in the Gambia. So yeah. throughout your career, like, are there any charities that you've chosen to focus on that, you know, maybe anyone who's listening should, um, focus on or if they're going to donate this year, should they send to a charity that's something that you care about? I mean, for me, I always care about giving back to, to the less fortunate. You know, help as much as we can to the less fortunate for, especially kids. Give them the same opportunity that I was given. Because I look at it, my father gave me an opportunity. Like if I can help somebody else, maybe get that opportunity to go and see the world and become some somebody, then I've done my part. So for me, my platform is using the football in the best possible way I can, because sports teaches life. There's one in Africa, it's called uh, Kick for Life. They also does that a lot. And there's one that I am about, uh, that my uh, nephew has set up in Gambia. And we're working on it. So very soon I'll be able to to talk about it. It's called, uh, it's called Norga Charity. Norga is N-O-R-G-A charity dot R-O-G. You can go onto the website and you can see it. Yeah. Oh, that's my daughter. She f- yeah. She feisty. Yeah. The first one is uh, five, and the and the and uh, the second one is about to be two, and she's fight and she. Ooh. She's she got the spirit of pa. No, she got more. Yeah. So. Um, Speaking of feisty, uh, this is a good segue to our listener question, and this comes to us from our friend JP at Soccer Touchdown. Hey, guys. This is JP with Soccer Touchdown. I've got a question for your guest, Pamudaka. Something that isn't often talked about but is definitely a part of the game is the battles 
that happened in the box on a set piece or a cross. I was never taught how to battle. What you can or cannot get away with. And I've often been surprised by the shirt tugs, the pushing, the grabbing, shoving that occurs. Pa, you had somewhat of a reputation for your physical presence in the box, but also for your big personality and occasional hijinks. What are some of the most outlandish things you've done in these battles? And and what are some of the uh, craziest things you've heard or witnessed in the uh, chaos in the box? Thanks so much for joining the uh, Portland Vanity Soccer Podcast. Well, I'm not a player anymore, so now I can put out all my secrets out there. <laughs> now, before you answer this, um, we have tales of you in the box wow. from multiple sources. So, Really? Yes. Yeah. Multiple <laughs> sources. So, well, uh, I mean, trash talking is one of that because you, you're trash talking. Uh, elbows, elbows, you know, to stop running here and there, you know, uh, Standing on people's toes. <laughs> it, 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 it's, those are called those are called the game within the game. So that's the game within the game for somebody who want to understand what it is. A little shirt tug so that he cannot get up. But it's everything you have to do. You have to do it subtle because you don't want the referees to notice. But with the VAR going around now, I don't think I don't think that was suited for us. Our game was not suited for today's game. Because when you talk about winning and you're going to do everything at all costs to win, that was that was part of those little things, you know, how 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 you get somebody out of his game by talking to him, trash talking, uh, poking his eye, poking his nose, <laughs> poking, poking, like pulling some, somebody's hair. Yeah, but we've heard of some other poking areas of interest yeah. on a private nature. That's not me. Whoever said that <laughs> is, is, is not telling the truth. Where's the proof? That's not me. We've got two people that are gonna they're gonna call you out on this. We got uh, who? <laughs> I heard Wait. this from Nat Borchers. Nat Borchers parents, and I heard we heard it from <laughs> <laughs> I met his parents in the in the airport on the way to uh, see the Atlanta. Uh, the I'm sorry, the Cup game in in Columbus. Nah, man. Me, I'm an innocent guy. I don't I don't do those. Things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what people are talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm very innocent. Uh, I, I, I believe you. Um, yeah, no, honestly, yeah, me and Nat, no, me and Nat had great battles, man. I love, I love battling against Nat, but, but that was true. We, we played. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was true. That was, yeah, that was on a set. That was on a set piece, and, uh, and yeah, and you know, and and he's a winner like me, and he's pushing and grabbing, and I'm like, Phew. Okay, so what what am I gonna do with this guy? <laughs> he's pulling because he also played nowhere. So like so like we battling, we like it's a fun battle, you know. It's a good good fun battle with with Nat because he's a winner and he will do you too. You know that's the thing with Nat. He's a nice guy, but he will do you. You know, and you know, and you're like, all right, and you grab it, and it's like, and I'm like, okay, he's actually gonna grab me. So automatically, instinctively, you just think about okay. For me to be able to create that separation between me and him, I gotta go. I, I gotta go to a place he he will not like it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! That's just the game within the game. But after we're done, honestly, with all the people that I've battled with and stuff like this, it's always mutual respect afterwards. You know, it's 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 like it's the it's the game within the game. But after the game, like I have all 
all respect for everybody that I ever battled with and battled against. And what is Fudi talking about? And 42 also. Fudi, Fudi, Fudi. <laughs> Fudi is a madman. Fudi was worse than him. <laughs> he said uh, that you played just as hard <laughs> in practice against like other like Timbers teams as you did against uh, oh, yeah. uh, like opponents. Oh, yeah. For me, there was no... For me, it's like, like it's a motto that in my head is I can't... I, I have to respect the game. So that means when I step on the pitch, I need to respect the game, what the game has given to all the greats before me and what it's given me. So it would be utterly disrespectful just to come and go through the game through emotions. And I knew that me practicing against my teammates, giving them my all, when they, went, when they, when they step on the pitch, the game will become easier for them. So for me, I, I, I don't care who you are. Once you step on the pitch, I'm going at you. And the first thing I did in the first Timbers training, I will never forget it because everybody felt like their heart stopped was my first session. I went and tackled Diego Chara. That's who I am. That's who I am. And me, I knew that because, you know, you, you have a lot of players that would just go on to the, uh, like, the, yeah. like the little guys or the rookies like this. No, me, me, I always shoot for the top gun because I'm shooting for the top gun also to let them know, okay, this is who I am. Chara loved it because that's the way he is. So he could see it and he could understood it. And that's why for me, and people ask me like about Chara, I'm like, man, that guy is the heart and soul of Portland Timbers. I don't care. No other people tell me that's the heart and soul of Portland Timbers to death. He, If, if it's somebody who deserves a, 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 a statue outside uh, Province Park, it's Diego Chara. Diego Chara deserves to have his statue outside Portland Timber Stadium. He is basically for me, Mr. Timbers. Have you met his brother? Yeah, finally, finally he's taller than somebody, Chara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About time. <laughs> oh, God. Well, um, I, th I think we've reached the, <laughs> the pinnacle of our journalism careers here on the podcast with that question. No. Thank you for having me. And you guys should watch more Pacific games, huh? We're going to. I mean, like, now I'm paying attention, and so I'm definitely going to watch them. You guys got to pay attention. Come on, man. Pacific is the new Portland Timbers in the making. Yeah. <laughs> I got to order a kit. Like, I got to get moving. Um, oh, we coming. Beware. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Pacific so is on the rise. I can't wait to I can't wait to watch a game. Actually, that's a, that's actually probably a pretty good question. So, what's going on with the Canadian Premier League and playing? Just like every other league, <laughs> we on hold. On hold. We everybody on hold. This 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 pandemic have the people on hold. And that's the that's the only negative on it. But the good thing is, hey. We all got more time to spend with our families and connect with people that we haven't done for a while and also truly cherish what we also had before the pandemic and not take it for granted. So, yeah. Do you have um, any questions for us? If not, I mean, we can let you get back to your family. You don't want to take away uh, too much of your time. No, nah, man, it's good. Uh, again, thank you very much for like for having me. It was great. And uh, yeah, hope, uh, hope. Hope to see you guys in the future, whether it's a head coach as uh, Portland Timbers or you guys coming up here watching the game. Ah, yeah, I, if my son doesn't make it, Timbers Youth Academy, I'm sending him up to Pacific FC. Oh, there you go. That's the right way to do, big man. We, we're here. <laughs> we're here on the island. 
Yeah. Footy said he probably wasn't going to listen to his interview if we sent him a link. <laughs> but we'll send you a link, and then you can decide whether or not you want to listen to yourself. Well, he's not going to. Of course he's going to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll make him listen to it. Don't worry. I'll make him listen to it. Yeah. yeah. I'll make him listen. Yeah, honestly, me, honestly, yeah, I will tell you, I will not, I will not, it's not, I will not listen to it, but I don't, I don't, I don't like listening to myself, but I will post it on, on the social media for you guys. That I will ah, do. That's what you, that I will do. I never, I never look at my interviews. Well, I mean, you don't need to do any more. This was probably the best interview you've ever given, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> Top notch. <Yeah. laughs> oh, that's class awesome. Act, man. I mean, I'm, I, hey, I'm here with two class act people, so of course it's going to be good. You guys make me look good. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, take care, Pop. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was a good interview. That was a really good interview. It's, it's, um, it's great to when you meet a guy and he's a great person not just the person that you imagine he is watching him on television. No. Yeah. I wish I was there for it. Um, but you guys told me he's amazing and I can't wait to listen. <laughs> well, I'll, I might send you a link and you can listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can listen to it at some point. Yeah. I did order a Pacific FC kit. Um, oh, nice. So we have just, we have Josh blocked on the podcast. Can't listen to these <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to listen to my own stuff. I honestly oh. just love that he was super pumped about like growing the Academy and putting his, uh, his stamp on the overall team, which is uh, something that he yeah. was very proud about when this, when discussing. You, you remember that Josh? I do. It was um, delightful to hear. <laughs> yeah. So respect and thanks, Mr. Kaw. I think we have to get uh, Donovan Ricketts as our next guest. Right. Yep. Dibs. Rickets. Josh, did you get Armin Taros yet? No. You contribute nothing to this podcast. Why do we keep asking you to come? He does the merch. So, our um, outro music is brought to you by. Yes. And the song is Way On Down by The Fun Boy 3. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at portlandvanity at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a voicemail, our number is 503-583-4235. Facebook is Portland Vanity. Twitter is PDX Vanity Soccer. And you can... Find us and subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, and Google Play.
Yeah, sorry guys. Sorry that I've I've met you guys a couple of times. It's just been I've been just busy doing uh little working, working, working with our <laughs> yeah. youth program. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Are really... you trying to say you have actually have stuff to do besides wait for us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You can yeah. look at that yeah. way. All right. We were laughing after the other day where it was like, well, he is a professional head coach uh, of a soccer team that has an actual job yeah. to do. So we were laughing. Exactly. 100%. Uh, and Randy's dog has yet another squeaky toy. Randy, do you not have an office? No, I don't. That can be edited out. Like, I can just mute that. Just because you can hear it now doesn't mean it's Do you realize we have a podcast? Yeah, and we're trying to be professional. Yes, seriously. God, don't make me bust out the kazoo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> Hang on a second. Hey, take that away from the dog, would you? She wants to be on the podcast. And then what? She wants to be on the podcast. Is that? Yeah. Part of it. Doesn't um, even know his right. dog's name. She's been like silent all day long, and now, of course, now is the time. Sweet she's... dogs. Um, said so many funny things. I know. Before you got here, so many funny things. So many. It's like the funniest we've ever been. Yeah. Can I... uh, what? How did that happen? Yeah. Oh, what happened? I have like a weird pop up on Firefox. Oh, you've been looking at the dirty website, Randy. Maybe mm-hmm. they're little... Yeah, you're supposed to only look in porn in a different browser. It's uh oh, it's for a plugin that I have installed. Porn plugin? Um, no. <laughs> uh, can we can we do the podcast? I thought we've been doing it. Uh, I mean, have we really? <laughs> I laughed when the thing. Oh yeah, he's been he's been recording for five minutes. This is quality. Yeah. Let's yeah. start over. It's quantity, and... not quality. Yeah, agreed. Footy Danso and uh, and and Pamuruka, but Freddie, I do wants to let us know that he's. God damn it! Are you getting your alert? I can hear it. What is that? That's the Portland. Don't go out after eight p.m. alert. I like that. I don't get that because I'm it's not so in Portland. Funny that you don't get that. We like that you don't get it too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying this podcast, man. 